Welcome, if you're joining us online, it's so great to have you too with us, um, and uh, we're grateful wherever you're tuning in from around the world. Uh, we're so glad that you're here. Um, we're in uh, week uh, seven. It's the final week of a, a seven-part series we've been doing that we called uh, An Alternative Society based on the book of Philippians. Uh, Paul writing to the church in Philippi, and Paul's writing to 30 or so people, and he's got a passion. He's writing to them because they're under persecution. These are 30 people meeting in a small house, worshiping Jesus. The only people in Philippi holding Jesus' name in their hearts, and they're under persecution. It wasn't an easy city for them to acknowledge Jesus. Not only are they under persecution, but they're struggling with divisions amongst them. And when persecution comes, it's so easy to fight amongst each other. And Paul writes them this letter, and he says, I want you to, to, to understand that when you come together as this idea of church, when you gather together, it's because you have a public witness of your private spirituality. It's because God has formed and shaped you, brought you together, so you would have something to say to society around you about who Jesus is, about his hands and his feet, his heart, his character, his compassion, that God wants us, the church, to be something of the expression of Jesus in the world. So he writes this letter and he says, I want you to be an alternative society within society. I don't want the church to escape to some monastery up on a hill and wag a, a judging finger at all the broken stuff in the world. No. I want my church planted within the very fabric of society, but living as citizens of heaven in that society. In other words, your values and the way you are and the way you live looks different from the rest of the world. Not in some rebellious kind of thing, not in some weird kind of thing, but in a, hey, this is a new and fresh vision of life. There is another way of being human. And so he tells them, that there is a new way to be. The whole of the, the beautiful thing about the letter to Philippi is, is Paul is saying there is this new way of life. He says it, it looks like a new way to pray. It looks like a new way to lead amongst each other. It, it looks like a, a, a new way to have unity together. It's, it's a new way to understand holiness now that Christ has died and raised again. And yes, it's also a new way to die. We die to ourselves as we come into this profound understanding of the work of the cross and our resurrection off the back of the work of the cross. And he, he lays out step by step a new way for them to show the world who Jesus truly is. And if I was to pull together all the threads that we've been teaching over the last six weeks, I would, I would put it something like this. Let me read this to you. An alternative society is born out of a call to publicly administer the values of God's kingdom, to pray with the other in mind, to lead from a place of vulnerability, find unity through the love of Christ, encounter holiness in its presence with Jesus, hold to the mindset of humility and sacrifice as revealed in the cross. This is like Paul telling the church in Philippi, if you were to live like this, you would be able to model for the world a new way to live like this is what it's all about. And, and I had this sense in my spirit as we've been doing this series that this is what God is asking of the church in Hong Kong in this time and in this hour. In a city where we're all struggling with the changes that are taking place in a, in a global pandemic that we're wrestling with that's disrupted all of our lives in a shifting and changing political system. The reality that on Friday there is an election being called the, the Patriots election. And then there's this idea that, that there's this voting to take place for the future of the government of the city. All of that, we should be leaning into it as the church of Jesus living like this. 
modeling to the world that there is something different in the uncertainty and the brokenness and the struggle and the strife of what's going on right now. Are you with me, church? All right. But there's one question that remains unanswered. And it's a question that concerned Paul, and I think it should concern us as well. The question is this. What is it that actually marks us as this alternative society in the world around us? Like, like what is it actually in us that reveals this character and this nature of Christ to the world that desperately needs to see it? What should be manifest in us that shows the world something of the person of Jesus? Well, for Paul, the answer was simple. It was joy. Joy. The idea that there is possible to have an internal, deeply dwelling sense of delight and joy in me, regardless of what might be happening around me, regardless of what might be happening in the city, happening in my personal life, happening in my workplace, that I'm able to find this deep-scented, abiding, overflowing sense of joy. That, Paul says, is the one thing that will set you apart. That is the thing that if people were to see it, they would be like, there's something going on that's different with this group of people, that no matter how hard it is, there is still joy, which is a real problem for us, because let's be honest. I think if you were to ask a non-Christian, what's the first thing that comes to their mind when they think of Christians? I doubt it's the word joyful. Are you with me, church? Let's be honest with ourselves today. I mean, if we're really honest with ourselves, I think we'd realize that there's just as much stress Anxiety, just as much brokenness, just as much negativity, just as much struggle and strife and trial as any other segment in society. And that might okay be the case because we're humans walking into this world. But Paul's saying if you're just exactly like everybody else, no, you can go through all of that stuff and yet still find joy. And he's saying that has to be what marks us. But the reality is it's so often just not the case. And we, we wonder why that is. And so here's what I want to do today. I want to spend the next chunk of minutes with you. And I want to unpack the glorious vision that the Bible has about joy. Because here's my premise. I think we've got joy all wrong. I think one of the reasons why we wouldn't say that joy is the first thing we think about when we think of the church is because I think we're all defining joy wrong. And I think if we could actually begin to understand what Paul has on his heart and his passion when he thinks about joy, I think if we could actually dive in quite deeply today to this understanding, this concept of joy, I think it might help us all to rise up differently in this time and in this hour. And let me just be bold with you and say this. If you are somebody who takes notes, you need to take notes today. And let me also boldly say this. If you're somebody who doesn't take notes on a Sunday, i.e. most of you, you might want to take notes today. I honestly, generally believe that what I'm about to share over the next 30 minutes can truly revolutionize your life. It's a big call. And the reason why I think that is because I'm about to show you why it is that you can have joy in every moment of your life, whether healthy or sick, whether doing well or struggling, whatever might be happening, you can do all things in Christ Jesus, who gives you strength. 
So let me tell you about this. Are you ready? Joy is mentioned 15 times in the book of Philippians. It's the second most mentioned in all of the books of the New Testament. The only other one that mentions it more is Luke, and Luke is like five times bigger than Philippians. Philippians is all about joy. Paul is writing to the church, and in every single chapter, it's the only theme in the whole book of Philippians that is uh, the consistent theme throughout the whole book. He talks constantly to them about joy. I did the easy work for you, and I threw up a bunch of those on a neat little PowerPoint that is now behind me. Have a look at some of these passages. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Then make my joy complete by being light-minded, having the same love, being one in the same spirit of mind. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Ah, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. I mean, constantly throughout the letter, the epistles become known as the epistle of joy because Paul is consistently telling them, we can know joy. Joy should mark and shape us as the people of Christ. You have to remember that Paul is writing this letter from prison. There's nothing about Paul's circumstances or situations that are joyful. Not only is he in prison, he's in prison awaiting trial. And the reality is, is that the trial is most likely to lead him to his execution on a cross. In other words, Paul is literally days away from potential death. And he's writing a letter to his church. And he's like, I feel joy. I know joy. I'm so joying. I'm rejoicing. You should know joy. I want your best joy. It's joy, joy, joy. And you're like, what are you talking about? Because if it was me, I would not have joy. Paul's doing something. He's modeling something for his church. He's basically saying this. There is power in the public demonstration of joy. Public demonstration. Think of it this way. I love this. Could you imagine what it would have been like for all the people that were trying to persecute Paul in this moment, that every time they doubled down on trying to persecute him, he just became more joyful? Like every single time that they were trying to get to him and try to speak to him, throw him in jail, beat him up, tell him off, spread false rumors about him. Paul writes to the church. He goes, I'm in chains, but I feel joy overflowing. There is nothing more annoying to your haters when they're trying to hate on you for you responding with more joy. Like, you know, try that next time somebody's attacking you online. You know, it's like, I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me, you know. Like, I can have joy no matter what is happening. Paul is trying to unpack this, and we look at this, and we think, this is crazy, because I know my life, I know what I've been through, I know what I struggle with, and I find joy really hard. How does Paul do it? Well, the answer in that is related to how we understand joy itself. The first thing you need to know is that there is an absolute difference in Scripture between joy and happiness. Joy is mentioned 355 times in Scripture. Happiness is mentioned 26 times. Now, God loves happiness. God's into happiness. And God likes the fact that we feel happiness, okay? But 355 times, he has something to say about joy. 26 times, something about happiness. And I think there's an important reason for this. Happiness is an emotion based on circumstances and outcomes. And and if circumstances and outcomes go well for you, then you're likely to feel an emotion of happiness. The, The root word for happiness is the word hap. And hap means good luck, fortune, or success. All good things, all things that God would love for us to have, success in life. 
But here's the reality. We feel happiness because of the happenings in our life. Are you with me? So if things are going well, if stuff is working out, if, if we're enjoying life and, and if our circumstances, we're interpreting them in positive ways and the outcomes have gone well, then we will feel this emotive feeling of happiness. So happiness is not wrong, but here's the reality. Happiness is fickle. By its very definition, happiness is temperamental. Happiness, in other words, is not always guaranteed because happiness is depending on your circumstances and your outcomes. It's depending on the things that happen to you. In fact, it's dependent on things out of your control. Because happiness is so fleeting, here's the reality. The enemy has a strategy in this world to drive people to the pursuit of happiness because it's an exhausting thing to pursue. Could you imagine if your whole life is based on trying to be happy, trying to enjoy things, and those things are so often out of your control, it is incredibly draining to drive in, to lean into a life of happiness. Ecclesiastes would say this, if you live life that way, it's a chasing after the wind. Like it's a, it's a hard thing to grasp. You can't build your life upon your circumstances and your outcomes to be the beauty of your life or the root of your life. But so many of us in the world, that's what we're doing. I would argue so many of us in the church, that's what we're pursuing. We want happiness when God wants us to experience joy. They're different things. Are you with me? Joy, biblically, is the Greek word kara. And kara means this, to delight overwhelmingly and abundantly within, to be gracious or grateful. Okay, Kara literally means to have this delight within me. Notice this. This is not talking about some surface kind of emotion. It's not talking about something that happens because of what's happening out there. No, no, joy in Scripture is a delight that is so deep within me that there is an abundance that flows from within that brings this gratitude in me. So when we look at the Word itself, we immediately begin to see that joy is something deep within us, and joy is something that has something linked to the idea of gratitude, being grateful for stuff. Now, here's the thing. The cognate of kara is the word, by the way, by the way, I know when you woke up this morning, you got out of the shower and you're like, I hope Andrew unpacked some Greek for me this morning because I'm excited. It's not what you said when you got out of the shower this morning, is it? But bear with me, okay? Are you still taking notes? This will blow your mind. Stick with me. The root word of kara is kar. And kar means this, extended favor. It's the idea that somebody or something has extended a favor to you, given you something that you did not deserve, that you did not earn, that was not just for you, but they've extended it and given it to you out of a place of gratitude, this graciousness, which is interesting because the Greek word for grace is the word charis. Follow this. Charis is the idea of God's grace. So kara, joy, and charis, grace, have something to say. They're both flowing out of the same root word, ka, which means extended favor. So, so let me pull these threads together and give you a biblical definition of joy, where happiness is an emotion based on circumstances and outcomes. Joy is a gratitude rooted in grace, no matter the circumstances. Come on, church. Joy is a gratitude rooted in grace, no matter what the circumstances are. 
It's not some surface level feeling. It's not dependent on some circumstance or situation. It's not something that's kind of out there. It's something that's found within me. And it's a place of gratitude. Joy is the action of gratitude. There's something that I do. I'm grateful for the grace that's placed inside me. This is why Paul can write in Philippians 4.4, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Do it always because it is not dependent on circumstance or situation. Because for Paul, it's rooted in this idea of grace. And you cannot take the grace from me. And if my joy is rooted in grace, then I can know joy no matter what happens to me. See, for Paul, grace is rooted in two things. When he thought of grace, he thought of what's called present grace and future grace. Let me unpack this real quick. Present grace for Paul is the idea that I am saved already, that Jesus has gone to the cross, paid the price for my sin, he's died, he's raised again, I've been imputed righteousness, my relationship with God has been reconciled, I now know the grace of being in relationship with him, I have a present grace because I'm saved. Are you with me? There's a future grace, however, The grace that when I die and at the end of all things, I will be resurrected into a new body and I will have eternity seated with Christ Jesus. For Paul, this is a future grace. I have a grace that's present now because I'm saved. I have a grace in the future because I will be seated. And those two things, the past, the present, and the future are guaranteed because of the work of Jesus. You can lock them in the bank. There is nothing that can change it or take it away. Why do I have joy? Because my gratitude is in a grace rooted in the present, rooted in the future, and nothing can take the grace away. Are you with me? So he's thinking this. Lock me in prison for preaching the gospel doesn't change the grace. He's thinking to himself, you know, beat me up until I pass out doesn't change the grace. Shipwreck me on a remote island doesn't change the grace. You know, take a snake and, and cause it to jump out of the fire and bite me on the hand and I'll almost die because of poison, but it doesn't change the grace. Countless nights where I'm hungry and I can't sleep, it doesn't change the grace. A COVID pandemic ravaging the world doesn't change the grace. A political upheaval in a city doesn't change the grace. We can know joy in every circumstance and situation. It doesn't change the grace. Some of you here today need to take a fresh look at that thing that's overwhelming you right now. That thing you're struggling with right now that's sucking your will to live. And I'm not downplaying them or belittling them. We all have them. I have them too. I woke up this week feeling... I don't want to get emotional on you. I woke up this week feeling incredibly overwhelmed and pressured. Like just to the point where I'm like, I just want to get back into bed and put the covers over me again. Anyone else ever felt like that? Anyone felt like that like this week? Anyone felt like that today? Yeah, yeah, that's good. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you chose to get out of bed. We all have days like that. You've got things like that. But some of us need to begin to get a spiritual discipline in our lives that when the world tries to overwhelm us, we can stand before it and say, that doesn't change the grace. I have a Savior who has gone to the cross. I have a God who's going to raise me again. And I know that. And because I know that, I will have joy regardless of what this world can throw at me. 
I wonder what it would look like for a church to really believe that in Hong Kong in this hour. Hmm, that would be exciting. This is why Paul does write in Philippians 4, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. We like to put this on a bumper sticker. We love to put this on a fridge magnet. We like to preach this, but I let me be honest with you. Here's what he's saying. It's not my strength. <laughs> like, if it was up to me, I would hate being in prison. If it was up to me, I couldn't handle the snake on my hands. If it was up to me, that, that shipwreck would have wiped me out. But I'm able to face every trial and circumstance because it's not my strength. His strength is enough for me. His resources are enough. His grace, I can take to the bank. The fact that Jesus died and rose again, I believe it. I know it. It's mine. I root myself in it. I have gratitude for the grace that no one can take away from me. So I didn't enjoy those things. Oh, I wasn't happy because of those things, but I was filled with joy. Are you with me, church? Now, where does this joy come from? Well, I'm going I'm to jump now to another of Paul's letters. This is the letter to the church in Galatia. And this is found in Galatians chapter 5. And I'm going to read a few verses. Is everybody still okay? Yes. I've got a lot more to go. Are you excited? Yes. The exits? No, just kidding. No, no, no good. <laughs> so I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. By the word flesh here, he's talking about the sinful nature, our sinful brokenness. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not know what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under law. So the acts of the flesh are obvious to us. And he lists them. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, all that stuff he's sort of saying. But I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things, there is no such law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. If you're in this room, if you're watching online right now, and you're a person in Christ Jesus, you have crucified the flesh. In other words, there's a new way that you are now living. And since we now live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not be conceited, provoking, and envying of each other. Ooh, let me break this all down for you. Can I, can I go to my amazing, this is my glass board, my amazing glass board. Um, I uh, want to be honest, I borrowed this. <laughs> I knew this would bring joy. That's why I brought it out. I borrowed it this week from Island ECC, and I want to be grateful and thank you then. Yes, way cooler than we are. So here we go. Um, grateful for Brett. Okay, so, so here's essentially what I think Paul... All right, calm down, calm down, calm down. It's not that cool. We had a whiteboard before from China. That was cool. <laughs> Thanks, Brett. Um, so here, here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, you've got to understand that in life, like, there's like this thing. I'm, I'm, by the way, these are trees, in case you're wondering what it is that I'm drawing. And, and trees have uh, like a, a root system to them, like all these kind of roots that they have, right? Okay, stick with me as I quickly draw these amazing roots, okay? And every tree, according to Paul, it, like, it's going to bear fruit, right? 
These, this is fruit, by the way, okay? It's not the Olympic single symbol, it's fruit. Okay, so, so, so stick with me here. He's saying that there is this thing in life where we are created this way. Now, Christ Jesus comes. Now, there are two ways that you can produce fruit in your life. First of all, if your roots is the self, what you'll have in you is this idea of the flesh, the sinful nature at work in you. And that will produce some fruit. And I'll just write a few of them here. But he talks about jealousy. He talks about rage. He talks about um, discord. These sorts of things. Not good, not healthy. But this will be the fruit when you're rooted in yourself and the flesh is working in you. Are you with me? But he said there's another way of living life where you're rooted in Jesus. And when you're rooted in Jesus, you have the Spirit of God alive in you, growing in you. And that Spirit has a whole bunch of fruit to it. He speaks of them like love and patience and kindness and goodness and self-control. But for us today, the most important one he says is joy. This is Paul mapping out for them the way in which life takes place. And essentially what he's saying is your roots will have fruit. Are you with me, church? Your roots going to have some fruit. If your roots in self, you're going to have the flesh at work in you, producing things like jealousy and all the opposite stuff to joy. But if Jesus is your root, the Spirit of God is at you, in you, and joy will be its fruit. It will come. The inevitability of you being in Christ Jesus with the Spirit of God in you is that you will know joy. Now, this is important because what Paul's essentially saying is joy is not out there somewhere that you kind of need to go out and try to find. We so often think this way. Even us as Christians, we think this way. We think joy is in the next job that we're going to get. We think joy is in a new relationship that's going to happen in our lives. We think joy is kind of out there. And if only if I change my job or, or change my situation or get a bit, bigger bank, bank balance or marry a, a better person, I will feel more joy. And what's really important to understand is that joy is not something to be discovered. Joy is something to be developed. Come on, church. It's not something to be discovered just around the corner. It's something to be developed within us. In the same way, what Paul's saying here is joy is not just this idea of some power of positive thinking. Joy is not the result of the power of positive thinking. Joy is the result of the power of positive rooting, the thing that you put in your life. And if you've rooted yourself deeply in Christ Jesus, then the inevitability is that the Spirit will be at work bringing joy. Are you, are you following this? Here's why this is really important for you in your life. You do not have a lack of joy issue. You do not have a lack of joy issue if you're a Christian in this room. Because Jesus' grace is never in doubt and it is not running out anytime soon. And we know that joy is connected to grace and our attitude of gratitude in response to that grace. And what Paul's saying is the fruit of the Spirit is joy. Your problem is not that you have a lack of joy in your life. Here's your problem. Your problem is that the enemy has some strategies that is trying to steal the joy that has already been given to you. This is really important. You don't get joy by praying for a feeling. 
You get joy by doing the hard work of silencing the things that steal the joy you've already been given. You don't lack joy. There's an abundant, overflowing delight inside of you because the grace that is present and the grace that is future, nothing changes the grace. There's not a problem for you to receive, to develop, to curate more joy. The problem is the enemy is at work trying to steal the joy that is rightfully yours and rightfully given. And the more that we understand that, the more I think we can begin to move in the reality of joy. Now, here's the thing. I want you to follow this. This will blow your mind. How does the enemy then steal our joy? Well, he can't steal your joy outright because a joy is a guaranteed fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life. So he can't actually attack the joy. He also cannot attack the grace. Because the grace is given by Christ, present and future. It's guaranteed through the resurrection of Jesus. The enemy cannot also take the grace from you. He can't take the joy. He can't take the grace. Are you with me? So what's he going to attack to remove joy from your life? Your attitude of gratitude. The one thing that he can actually impact is this thing right here. Those people that struggle with the reality of joy are the ones that have a gratitude problem. A bit like me times. Here's the two ways. Is this helping anyone? All right, I'm going to go for another few minutes. Is that okay? Hopefully this will blow your mind too. Here are the two ways the enemy will steal your gratitude every single time. The first is through the idea of entitlement. Entitlement tells us, I deserve it. And when we think about deserving something, what that actually means is we think that we should get it anyway. And when we think that we should get it anyway, we don't have an attitude of gratitude. We don't want to be gracious for what it is that we've received. So those of us that that think, well, I I pray hard, so no wonder I get the blessings. Man, I read my Bible every day, so of course God's loving me. I mean, when we have this attitude of entitlement, whether in the kingdom of God or in other places in our lives, it diminishes the reality of joy because entitled people are not grateful. The second thing is shame. The enemy will also bring shame into your life to cause a disruption to your gratitude. Now, shame's different from entitlement. Entitlement is, I deserve it. Shame is, I could never receive it. I, I could never receive it because of that thing I did in my past, because of that thing that went on, because of that stuff that somebody did to me. I, I don't deserve it. I, I, I could never receive it. I haven't received it. And shamed people, people that are struggling with shame, when that's their root system, it's really hard for them to be uh, grateful for things because they basically go, well, everybody else received it, but I guess I don't get it. I guess I can't get it. I guess, I guess I'm not worthy. I guess I won't get it. And they become ungrateful to God because they look around and they think God's given it to everybody else and just not giving it to them. Follow this. Entitled people are ungrateful because they think they deserve it. Shameful people are ungrateful because they think they can never receive it. And the enemy will use both of those things, entitlement, pride, arrogance, shame, hurt, brokenness, to steal your gratitude for joy. Are you with me? All right, in the final five minutes I have, I'm going to give you three very practical ways to ensure that gratitude remains in your heart so that you can have joy. Does that sound helpful? All of these are from Philippians. Here's the first one. Stoke the fires of gratitude. If you want to have more joy in your life, 
If you want to fight for joy, stoke the fires of gratitude. Let me read this to you from Philippians 1, starting in verse 3 and 4. He says, I thank God every single time I remember you, for in my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Paul starts out, he says, he links thanksgiving and joy together in the same passage. He says, I'm so thankful for you. And because I have this gratitude in me, I have joy within me. So one of the ways that we retain joy and we stoke joy in our lives is by having this practice of gratitude. On Tuesday when I woke up and I felt overwhelmed and I felt slammed and I I felt beaten down, it was a moment of gratitude that released that pressure from me. Simply realizing that no matter what might happen, in my workplace, at the vine, with all the pressures that I sometimes feel I'm under, no matter what happens, it doesn't change the grace. I have a reason to be joyful. Jesus once healed 10 lepers. 10 of them, in an instant, heals them. And they all go off, but only one returns to say thank you. And Jesus goes, where where, where did all the other guys, weren't all 10 of them healed? But only one of you returned? Here's what happened that day. Nine lepers found happiness, but one leper found joy. Stoke the fires of gratitude in your life. Here's the second thing. Check your roots. Check your roots. Listen to this in Philippians 4, verse 19. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. My God will meet your needs. You want to know whether you've got joy in your life? You want to stoke joy? Make sure that your needs are rooted in Jesus. Anytime something else takes the place for need in your life, you will find a diminished reality of joy. As soon as you put a person where Jesus should be, you will find less joy in your life. Because here's the thing, people will let you down. If you're looking for your spouse, if you're looking for your boss, if you're looking for your pastor to bring joy into your life, you will not have joy. Where is it that you're looking for joy? Check your roots. Because if your roots are in Jesus, if he's your place of joy, like Paul, he would say, you can do anything to me. It doesn't change the grace of the reality that I'm thankful that Jesus is at work. Because Jesus will not let me down. You're going to let me down. You're going to let me down. I love you. We're going to let each other. Jesus is never going to let me down. So check your roots. Here's the third and final one. Reset your priorities. Philippians 1 verse 18. Here's Paul. He says this. He says, but what does this all matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. I love this. Paul's just written a whole segment where he's talking about how life is really hard for him, how things are not going well, how people are even out there preaching the gospel with false motives. And then he pauses. It's almost like he's forgotten himself. And he pauses. He goes, hang on, what does all of that matter? That, none of that matters. You know what matters? Jesus is being preached. And if that's happening, I've got joy. Resetting your priorities. Paul understood that God's mission is always greater than his condition. That what God is doing is always greater than what is actually happening to him. You know who else thought that? Jesus. Let me read this to you from Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. There's shame at work. And for Jesus, for the joy set before him. Let me explain what that doesn't mean. It doesn't mean he enjoyed the cross. 
In fact, it tells us here he endured it. It wasn't fun for Jesus to get the nails in his hands. It wasn't fun for him to wear the crown of thorns. It wasn't fun for him to be insulted. It wasn't fun for him to be whipped. That's not what the scripture's talking about. There was a joy set before him. There was this idea that God's mission is going to be greater than his condition. That if he goes to the cross, if he pays the price for sin, there'll be some people sitting in 29 Burroughs Street back in 2021 who will know joy because of the thing I'm about to do. He set joy before him and was willing to take the greatest pain and the greatest destruction on his shoulders. It doesn't change the grace. You have joy in every situation. Reset your priorities. There was a lady who came up to me once here at the Vine uh, at the end of a service, and she came up for prayer, and she said, Pastor Andrew, I just want you to know that I'm so grateful for my cancer. And that took me back a little bit, because I was like, I've never heard anyone say that. Like, I said, what do you mean? I've never heard anybody say that. And she goes, yeah, I get that a lot. She said, I'm so, I'm so grateful for my cancer because my cancer reminds me of the grace I have every day that I can still breathe some breath. She said, I'm, I'm so grateful that he's helped me. She said, you know, when I was healthy, I never, ever thought about the grace of God in my life. When I was healthy, everything was fine. But since I've gotten cancer, and since it's likely that I'll probably die at some point soon, I realized death is just the beginning. And it was like she was saying, I found a new vision for grace in my life. And I'm so grateful that God has allowed me to breathe this day and to be here with you. And I'm crying in front of her because I realize that the enemy has stolen my joy. You need to fight for your joy. Be thankful. Check your roots. What's the third one? Come on. Reset. Reset your priorities. You do those three things, you'll know joy like never before. Can we pray? Let's pray. Father, we are so, so grateful. Lord, we thank you that we've seen today an unpacking of how the enemy takes joy from us. We do not have a lack of joy issue. We're thankful that as we are rooted in you, the Spirit of God at work in us, joy is a beautiful fruit. But equally, we're sitting here, Lord, so often struggling with joy. And we've learned today that we struggle with joy because we struggle with grace. And we struggle with grace because our gratitude somewhere along the lines has, has fallen away. Father, I want to pray for anyone in here who realizes that they've been carrying a spirit of entitlement that has been the outworking of the flesh and not the spirit of God. I want you to know if you're carrying a spirit of entitlement this morning, God doesn't beat you up. He's not angry. He's not this angry schoolmaster waiting to tell you off. He's just so overwhelmingly and abundantly delighting in you. And you can change your roots today. Some of you in this room, it's shame. Somebody's beaten you down. Someone has hurt you, said stuff about you. And it's been deeply hard. Or maybe you've done some things that you're ashamed of 
And because of that, you think you're not worthy of coming before the Lord. You think that you don't deserve it. You think that you're not going to receive it. You think all the blessings are for someone else. And you're a little bit angry about all of that. And you become ungrateful for grace. That's you today. There is a place of healing and restoration in the presence of the Lord. Some of you in this room, it's the changing of your roots that's needed today. You put a person, a situation, something out there in place of Jesus. And you're looking to that thing for your joy. The Lord wants to come and just love on you today and minister to you in that space. Some of you in this room, you're really struggling, you're really suffering, and it's really hard. We know it. Nothing we're saying today takes away the reality that we all go through really difficult things in life. But the beautiful thing is, is that God is not desiring for you always to know happiness, but He does want you to have joy. And joy is always far greater, far deeper, far longer, far more amazing than happiness. And so if you're in a really difficult place today, I pray that you would know the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. I wonder whether you just stand with me and I want to just pray over us. Our time is up and I'm going to pray in a moment just to release us into the week ahead. But I want you to know there's a prayer team in the upper house and a prayer team here in the lower house. We would love to come around you today and just pray over you. I think many of you would love to receive some prayer today. And I want to encourage you not to rush out and rush away, but just to take the time that you need with the Holy Spirit in a moment. Maybe to come forward and just ask someone to pray for you and stand with you so that you would know new joy in your life. Father, I pray protection over the church, Lord. I thank you so much for each person here. We're so grateful, Lord. And Lord, we come against the enemy's strategies to steal us of joy. Forgive us where we've forgotten the abundance of joy that we have through your spirit as we stay rooted in Christ Jesus. Lord, we pray that you would make the vine a joyful church filled with people that are overwhelmed in gratitude for the grace that has been extended to them. Yes, we don't deserve it. Yes, we have not earned it. But we are confident that no matter what might take place in our marriages, our workplaces, our situations, our families, and anything that the enemy can throw at us, it doesn't change the grace that has been given to us in Christ Jesus. And because of that, we have joy. Lord, I pray you would release us as joyful people into everything.